All right, well, I already told you my bee joke last week, so I'm trying to think of what ones I got, but I, how many minutes do I you need? Okay, well, uh, let me, I'll start my sermon, I'll pause it and come back to it, but the last few weeks we've been talking about spiritual gifts and gifts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, the first week we looked at how God was, has given spiritual gifts to everyone, not just to certain special people, but to everyone for the benefit of everyone. And then the next week we looked at how the greatest spiritual gift we can ever receive is the love of God. If we, if we receive the love of God, walking in spiritual gifts will be easy because you're going to have the right motivation for why you're doing it. It's not doing it for you. You're doing it for the love of somebody else, and that's important. Then last week we looked at um, the false belief of sensationalism and the truth about spiritual gifts biblically and throughout history. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty cool service. I've never really taught church history like that before and had such an awesome response. Uh, <laughs> people jumping up everywhere, and I bless you in Jesus' name. The power of God was moving Talking about church history. And it reminded me of Bible college where I had a church history class that broke out in a prayer meeting. Because usually those classes were very boring. But uh, they wasn't. And we talk about the really the good stuff. Amen. Amen. So, more time? Okay. So, uh, it's Mother's Day. And so we're going to look at women in ministry. And I believe it's now is not the time for a woman to sit back and wait. Uh, and back in their seat and wait for a man to step up. Do you, know, do you know that's such a sad reality? I mean, I'm going to go into the scriptures and it's going to look at it. We're going, to, we're going to see it. But what women have been told is that because men won't step up, God's making a special exception for you and you can step up and, and do something. But, you're, but it's okay. But it's just because a man's being lazy, just because a man's being slack. And so God's going to, oh, I guess I can use you. And, you know, women have been the most persecuted group in his, throughout history, not a, a certain race or a certain whatever. It's just, it's women. It started in the garden, and he said he's going to put enmity between the serpent and the woman. Okay, that's that was just so they have been persecuted again and again and again, and it's it's time for us to know the truth. The truth will set you free. Do you know there's women in this room that you have felt the call of God on your life since you were a young girl, and then but you've been told, but I can't do anything because I'm a female. And I know there are verses in the Bible that imply that this is the case. I'm going to show you today that that's misunderstood. So I was saying now is not the time for women to take a back seat and wait for a man to step up. Now is the time for women to take their rightful place in the kingdom of God. The world needs spiritual mothers. Amen. The world needs spiritual mothers. The world needs uh, the love of mother releasing the supernatural love of God to people. And so I'm going to give uh, permission to some of you women in here. Uh, I this give you permission to step out and be who you're called to be. And I, not, not that I have to have permission, but I'm saying it to make you feel better that you're released to be who God called you to be. Okay? I'm going to show you this biblically. Don't worry. It's not just my opinion. It's not just I'm not going to avoid Scripture. I'm not going to do that. I never do that. I'm going to dig deeper into Scripture. And also just the whole thing of the Bible, what's God saying throughout the Bible about women and what's, what's their role? So the, the question is, can women teach? Can they teach a man? Can they lead, speak, or preach in church today? Or are they just restricted to just nursery duties, Sunday school, VBS, fellowship meals, and missionary work? And, you know, I, I just feel like uh, on behalf of the church, I just want to say I apologize to you women out there if you've ever been restricted and told you couldn't do something because of your gender. It's a misunderstanding of the Bible. You don't see that in the life of Jesus. 
Jesus was leading a supernatural women's liberation movement. If you study history and how restrictive uh, the Jews were to their women and what they were not even allowed to read the Bible, they weren't even allowed to pray sometimes for the meals. They were, it was very restrictive. But Jesus, they weren't allowed to even be taught the scriptures. For Jesus to have women following him and in his ministry and teaching them was showing them, hey, God the Father had a different plan for women. So I'm praying that even as I share this today, that you won't, uh, won't just listen, but you'll hear uh, the heart of the Father for you women to be released in, into the calling of God who you're really called to be. Because it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Anything that's oppressive, it's killing, stealing, destroying. You look at the origin where it's coming from. But God is not like that, amen? So we're going to look at this question. It's a predominant belief in churches across the world, not just a certain denomination, but across the world it's predominant. And uh, you probably grew up in a church that was like that. But is this the heart of God? Is it the heart of God to restrict or limit half of the Christian population or more? Because honestly, if you want to be honest, in prayer meetings, who's there? This isn't Father's Day, so I might say a few things. So I'm just saying, who's there? Who, who's, who's there? The women are there. Where are the men at? I don't even want to go there because I might not say it very good. Uh, but they're not there a lot of times, right? Um, in the Bible, there's 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. There was approximately 40 different authors that, that wrote the Bible down, led by the Holy Spirit. Over a period of roughly 1,450 years, um, the, they wrote these books from different countries, different um, cultures, different situations, all led by the same Spirit of God to write these things, okay? Of those 40 authors, only one author seemingly restricted women from doing ministry. Only one. And it was the great Apostle Paul. And this is not, you're going to see why we're going to go into this, but he really wasn't. But it's, in, it's interpreted incorrectly, I believe. So um, it's important for God, it's, if it was this important for God to restrict women for, for being in ministry as a constant punishment for the sea, sins of Eve in the garden or some reason, why did 39 other authors not mention it? Why was it only mentioned by Paul? And why was it only mentioned in a certain area where Paul preached to, a certain area? Paul, why did Paul write to nine different churches in, diff in different leaders in different geographical locations, but he only restricted them in two, maybe three of them? You read the book of Romans, it doesn't say, to, to the to church in Rome, doesn't say women can't do anything, does it? You read your Bible, does it say anywhere in Romans that women can't do Does it say anything in the book of Romans? Okay, all right, it doesn't. There's three verses in the Bible in the New Testament that restrict, seemingly restrict women, but really there's only two because one of them is totally misapplied. And I'm going to read it to you just so we can cover that first and then move on. But Titus 2, 1 through 4. Um, but you know, when, you, when your mind is bent on a certain perspective, you're going to take and move a scripture to make it work to that perspective no matter how hard you try. Don't people do that? They try to make the, the scripture fit to their circumstance, to their situation. But Titus 2, 1 through 4 but as for you, this is Paul speaking to, to, to Titus. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Okay, we'll stop there. So he's speaking to Titus here. Then he goes on, the older women likewise, that they should be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, 
not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So let me ask you this question. By Paul saying to Titus that he's supposed to, to teach older men these things, does that limit uh, Titus to only speaking to old, older men only? Was that a restriction for him? So why would it be when they said for, for him to speak to the, for older women to teach the younger women, why would that restrict them to only teaching women or younger women? He said, he said likewise, uh, how you're doing this with Titus for the older men, I want the older women in your church to do this for the younger women. Does that make sense? All right, because I'm not sure <laughs> by your facial expressions right now. All right, what I'm trying to say is if there was limiting them, why would he tell uh, Titus to teach the older men these things? Did that mean he could only teach older men only? He couldn't teach children either, or he couldn't teach younger men or women or anything? So why do they take this verse and he tells the older women to teach the younger women to restrict them only to women? It's not consistent, is it? So we're not going to spend much time with Titus, but that's one of the three verses that they use. The other two are definitely stronger um, cases. We're going to look at that, but... The other two locations where Paul seemed to limit women were in Corinth, which is 1 Corinthians, and Ephesus, which is uh, 1 Timothy. And do you know what these uh, cities had in common? Including the Titus scripture I read, they were all Greek cities. They were all Greek cities. Not only were they Greek, but they had in those cities, they had goddesses in charge of their cities, and the chief leaders over their cities, and they worshipped these females as deity. Most of these Greeks believed in Greek mythology, and they made gods out of their women. They believed that women were more powerful than men. They also believed that their goddesses were more powerful than their gods. Their reason was that women were in charge or control when it comes to sexual relations. Since they had that much power, they considered them more powerful. Uh, no, no comment there. <laughs> you can smile, guys. God invented sex, okay? Uh, they're saying women are in charge there, so they're saying they're more powerful than men. So they even said into their goddesses, into their females, they made them like deities because they had power over that. Weird, but that's just what they believed. In Corinth today, you can still see the ruins of the temple Aphrodite, the goddess of love. In this temple, in Paul's day, a thousand cult prostitutes practiced their gross immorality as part of worship devoted to their goddess Aphrodite. These prostitutes, unlike America today, were highly respected in Corinth. And, and they would shave their heads as a sign of devotion to Aphrodite. And uh, also a symbol of their seductive power. Women also caught in the act of adultery would have their heads, heads, excuse me, their heads shaved as identified as an unmoral woman. So this could be one of the reasons where Paul wrote uh, the, the Christian women in Corinth. It said, cover your heads when you pray. First Corinthians eleven fifteen. It might be one of the reasons. But if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. All right, so that's Corinth. Now in Ephesus was the home of the Greek goddess Artemis, or Diana. She was the goddess of the hunt, wild animals, wilderness, childbirth, virginity, and protector of young girls. It was believed that she had the power to bring and relief diseases on, on women. Artemis is mentioned in Acts 19.28. I think we have that for you for the screen here. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So this is a, a, a goddess of their day that they worshipped. 
Artemis was worshipped as a fertility childbirth goddess in certain places. And in fact, many women would travel from all over to come to Ephesus to have their child believe that this goddess would protect their child and their, them during uh, labor. So that could be one of the reasons why Timothy inspired by the whole, Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.15, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. So there's reasons why, of course, led by the Holy Spirit. There's reasons why they address certain situations in these, in these books. So if you remember, Timothy was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. So he was dealing with this kind of stuff on a constant basis. So we go back and read Bible and don't look at the culture. Don't look at who they're addressing and just take a verse and try to make it universally apply across the board. It doesn't work that way. How many of you washed the feet of the saints this week? How many of you went to go pick up Paul's cloak that he left in uh, whatever city he forgot his jacket at? And I mean, you know, there, you can't take every verse in the Bible and universally apply it across every situation. It doesn't work. Okay? You guys good? So this belief that Artemis had power to protect women and babies in childbearing was hindering women from receiving Christ, converting to Christianity, because they didn't want to leave that because they're afraid that what, if I leave that, then my baby might die. I might not be able to have children. So Paul tells them here that, no, you don't need Artemis, this false god of nothing. What you need is to know Jesus Christ, and he will keep you and your baby safe. You want their faith to rest in Christ. So we can see that each of these cities where, where Paul seemingly restricted women were Greek cities where the rule, women ruled over the city. They were worshipped, and they dominated men. They dominated, if they had a husband, they dominated the men, and they dominated the whole society. It was a women-led thing. And domineering is not something that's supposed to be in our families, in our home. Okay? Men towards women, women towards men. It's not to be domineering. God did not put you in charge or put, give this position to lord it over your spouse in either way. We're to be a team, amen? A team in unity working together for the kingdom, husband and wife. But uh, that's why, could be one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit led Tim Paul to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.11. Oh, sorry, I'm saying this wrong. That is not what I want to say. Uh, we're going to go back and look at the text now of what, where it restricts women in 1 Timothy 2.11. But I was going to say it could be why he said that verse about women would be protected in child labor. Now, 1 Timothy 2.11. We're going to go into the nuts and bolts of this. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Now, before I go even further, just say off, off my heart here. Doesn't the Bible tell us to submit one to another? Doesn't it? Uh, so it's not, this isn't just one-sided. We can't just take one scripture, okay? So just remember that. The word submissiveness here, here is the word hupotage, and it means to be in subjection. But in the Greek context, the submissiveness would be to the instruction, not to the instructor. So be, be submissive to this instruction. That wouldn't be just to the women. But in this situation, he's dealing with women that are, trying to, that are coming into his church. They're trying to take over and lead the meetings and be just the boss over everything. When Timothy was the pastor, and he's trying to do this, and the, the whole city is dominated by women. And that was their culture. And he's trying to help get things back in order where they can't just go and steal the authority from somebody that they haven't received from the Lord. Not that a woman couldn't do it, but if they weren't appointed to do it, then they're not supposed to be there and doing that. So we go on. 1 Timothy 2, 12-14. says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, the whole thing. For if it was Adam who was created first, 
and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So think about this for a minute. Here's Paul, the teacher of grace. Really? The best teacher in the Bible on grace, for sure. Okay? Do we really think this is consistent with Scripture? That God is going to punish women for the sins of Eve throughout all eternity. And because of what she did in the garden, no woman is allowed to talk anymore after that in a certain building or in a certain setting. That's foolish. It's not consistent with Scripture, is it? Okay? Don't worry. I have stronger points than that. We're not going to just be logic and reasoning. I do have some points for you but in case you're still trying to hold on to it. But I'll tell you, if you're holding on to it, hold on to what gives life. The Spirit kills the letter of the law kills. The flesh counts for nothing. So the main text, this main point, the text making it that not to, for women are not to exercise authority over a man. Now there are twelve different words for authority in the Greek, and forty-seven words for rule and govern. I don't think we have that many in our. I know there's a lot of different words. It's a different language is so different when ours. Yet Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, chose a certain word for a certain reason for the word he picked here, and the word is. Um, uh, uh, authentine, which is, I believe is where the word authoritarian comes from, in other words like that. And it means to act of oneself, to author, to dominate. One who with his own hand kills either others or himself. One who does a thing himself. One who acts on his own authority. This is not talking about the authority that God gives you as a believer, the authority of the believer. This is not talking about the authority that we have in Christ or authority over the enemy. This is talking about a rebellious authority. Do you see that? I'll read it to you again. It means to act of oneself, so you weren't sent or put in charge of something, to author, to dominate, one who with his own hand kills either others or himself, one who does a thing himself, or one who acts on his own authority. So it wasn't commissioned by God. The, set, the old Latin second to fourth century said it this way, I permit not a woman to teach, neither to dominate a man. They change it that way, not to dominate. Linda uh, Bellyville, in her book, <laughs> Bellyville, sounded funny, in her book, Discovering Biblical <laughs> Equality, translates the verse, I do not permit a woman to teach so as to gain mastery over a man. It's one way she translated it. I do not permit a woman to teach so as to gain mastery over a man. Or I do not permit a woman to teach with a view of dominating a man. You know, there's multiple ways things can be translated, and one word or one comma can totally can change how something sounds. But we have to take Scripture and make it consistent with the whole book of the Bible. Not just take one verse out and one section out and then apply it massively over. Do you know one of the reasons why this theology flew so strongly? Because Pharisees hated women. I don't have time. I, I use, I've done this in the past, but it was, uh, I think it was a two- or three-week series I did this over. But... Uh, but they hated women. They had over 100 laws they invented and created and put in, said that was part of the Torah, part of the law that really wasn't, were just about women. So, again, think about this for a minute. Paul was writing to Timothy. And he was probably being bullied by authoritative women who were used to being in charge and were challenging some of the things Timothy was teaching. So Paul is telling these women in this situation, not all women, but in this, this situation, to be quiet, to be submissive to the teaching, do not try and steal the authority or act in an unauthorized authority or dominate over Timothy, but also over men in general. Now, does that sound consistent with the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible, going through? All right, I get no, it was supposed to be yes, but uh, yes, all right. Okay, Richard, maybe another example. Richard and Catherine 
Kroger in their book, uh, Suffering Not a Woman, Rethinking First Timothy, says that authoritarian, authoritarian could imply not only to claim sovereignty over a man, but also to claim authorship. Remember one of the words it meant to author. To rep- represent oneself as author, originator, or source of something. So she says, it could be translated this way, I do not allow a woman to teach or to proclaim herself author of man. I know that sounds foolish to us now, but if you go back into the culture and what they believed in that city in that time, uh, it, it does make sense because the very next verse he said, for it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. Why would he say that in that context? It, it, it seems like it's, what, what are you talking about, Paul? You're, like, you're talking about a totally different thing now. But he wasn't because in the, the belief of the goddess Artemis was that uh, the, the woman appeared first, then a male appeared sometime later. That was part of their teaching. So it could be that Paul was addressing some of these things with when he said that line. So it seems logical to me that Paul was addressing, again, some of these myths, some of these things. But we're not called to do that. We're called to co-rule, to co-reign with men and women together in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. It gets better. In case you don't believe me yet, it gets better. Um, let's look at the example now in 1 Corinthians. But first, we need to remember the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing questions that the church of Corinth have for him. He's, he's now about this, now about that. The whole through the book, you can see this. I'll give you a few examples. 1 Corinthians 1.11, my brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there is quarrels among you. So he, and he addresses that. 1 Corinthians 5.1, is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. He's addressing all these things that are happening in the church. 1 Corinthians 7.1. Now for matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Now don't stop there. You can read the rest of it later. But I'll just stop in there for the sake of time. But again, you can see he's addressing certain topics. He's answering questions that they have. 1 Corinthians 8.1. Now about food sacrificed to idols. He goes into that teaching. 1 Corinthians 11. He talks about communion, how he's setting that in order. 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking now concerning spiritual gifts. You can see all through the book, he's going through these certain topics and teachings and addressing those things. So the challenge is that sometimes it's hard for us to know when Paul is answering a question or he's actually quoting the question that they asked. And what I'm, what I'm going to propose to you, and again, it's up to you if you believe this or not and if it makes sense to you, is that the end of 1 Corinthians 14, the end of that chapter, which he just talked in 12, 13, 14 about spiritual gifts. At the end of that chapter, he starts a new topic. But he doesn't say, now concerning this. Okay, I'm going to show you this. So uh, this creates a few problems for us when reading it because we're thinking he's actually making a statement when he's actually, actually using some sarcasm here. I'm going to show you. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 14 through 14, 1 through 33, is answering the question about tongues and prophecy. You guys have read that now about tongues, the clang gong, all this stuff. He goes on to that. He completes that answer in verse 33. And then verse 34 and 35, he makes this statement, okay? Now, I want you to read this and hear it like it's their question to him. And you'll see maybe the difference. The women are to keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. For if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. A couple of things here. What if they weren't married? What if their husband wasn't saved? 
Who do they ask their questions to then if they're supposed to be quiet all the time, okay? Another thing I want to make mention of, that Paul was, at one point, he was a Pharisee, right? He called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. So this guy knew the law is good or better than anybody. But guess what? There is not one law in the 252 laws of the Old Testament that prohibits women from speaking in church. There isn't one. You can go back and read it. There is not one law there. So Paul, being a student of the law, he would know, he wouldn't have put that in there as a statement. He would write it as a question, but he wouldn't put it as a statement if he knew it wasn't in the law. So women were allowed to pray in the temple, weren't they? Think about Anna. She lived in the temple. And she was praying and believing God. She was a prophetess, believing she was going to see Jesus one day, and she did. Or Samuel's mother prayed in the temple. I think her name was Hannah. And she prayed, and she prayed for a child. And then she, she had a child, and she prayed so fervently that the priest thought she was drunk. The, 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 there's many women in the Bible that were praying and were allowed to pray and talk in the temple. Amen? Okay, so the Corinthian men who wrote these questions to Paul were most likely, again, addressing some of their questions and concerns they had in their church. Their church had some issues, didn't it? They did. They had some issues. Uh, Timothy, uh, the pastor in Corinth, man, they, he, had, he had quite a job on his hands and needed help from Paul with some answers. But these, it's possible that the Pharisees were the ones writing these things to Paul for him to address, Pharisees that were in the church, and he put, they put this in there, and he was using one of the laws that the Pharisees wrote, because it was 252, but by the time the Pharisees were done, there was 613. They added a lot of laws, and a hundred of them were against women. So they're saying, as the law says, he's saying as the pharisaical law says, not the actual law of the Bible says. Okay, I have another point to show you. I hope you guys are liking this, because really my point is to release women to do what God's called you to do and not let anyone tell you different. And I'm going to stand on your side. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you and try to, and just to go after God what God calls you to do. It's not gender specific. It is the call of God on his children. On his children, amen. All right, secondly, I want you to notice something. This, if you have an older Bible in here, I should have brought one. You may have this in your Bible. A lot of the newer ones t- took this out. There's a symbol in, the, in their Bibles, and it kind of looks like the symbol for pi with a couple little dots over it, but it's not the symbol for pi. It's kind of like, uh, it was used kind of like our emojis are in text messaging. You know, you put a little happy face in there, a little smiley cry face or whatever in there. It's just to try to communicate what your, your tone of voice that you're trying to express with the people. So in this, this actually happened in the Bible, and it was in the book, Why Not Women, by Lauren Cunningham and David Joel, it says that the tiny word is used a total of 49 times in 1 Corinthians alone, this tiny symbol, in a variety of different ways, 14 times to express what Greek scholars call an uh, expletive of disassociation. Now, again, I don't usually use big words, and that one's pretty big, but uh, basically what it means in English, it would mean equivalent to what nonsense, no way, rubbish, or get out of here. Get out of here is probably more of one, get out of here. So it's equivalent to no, or what, nonsense, no way, rubbish, or get out of here. I'll show you three examples in Corinthians. Remember I said it was 49 times used in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians alone. 1 Corinthians 1.13 would read this way. No way were you baptized in the name of Paul? 1 Corinthians 6, 9, nonsense, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? 1 Corinthians 6, 16, no way, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? 
It's this, it's no, no way, nonsense, rubbish, get out of here. And that's what he does. He jumps into verse 36, verse 34 through 36. He jumps into a new thought. I think he quotes this complaint from the Pharisees. And then he says, rubbish, no way, get out of here. It would read this way. And actually in verse 36, that, that symbol, like the pie symbol is in twice in that one verse. You can read it this way. What nonsense, no way, rubbish, get out of here. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? What nonsense, no way, rubbish, get out of here. Has it come from you only? Paul was not silencing women in the church. He was protecting them. He was defending them. He was defending their right to speak and to, and to share what, what Christ shared with them. And look at how he ends the, the chapter. It's a very strong warning. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's command. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Directly connected to women in ministry. Directly, it's the same paragraph, same section. If you don't recognize this, you're not recognized. I'm not going to go into if you're saved or not, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going there. Jesus knows those are his, amen. But I'm saying Paul was not limiting women. He was empowering women, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus did, okay? If, if God really wanted to limit women, okay, if he really did, wouldn't it be consistent through the whole Bible? Think about Judges 4 and Deborah. Deborah was given the name, uh, the, the t- title of prophetess and judge for the entire nation of Israel. If there was ever a time that God could have chose a man or could have chose someone else, he appoints Deborah while under the law to lead a, this chosen nation, giving her the highest title in all the country. Amen? You women can go ahead and be louder. I'm okay with that. I'm okay, and uh, I'm okay with it. It's, t- it's time to fix this. It really is. We're trying to fight the enemy. We're trying to win the war. We're trying to influence culture, society, and win those to Christ, and we're trying to fight with one arm strapped behind our back or whatever because women aren't allowed to do anything. Unless, unless we're hungry, then they can cook us a meal. Or the children are around, we're too, we're too annoyed with the children so they can go and back and take care of the kids. Am I being too honest? I have a tendency to do that sometimes. I'm sorry, but it's not right. It just isn't right. Think about Miriam, Moses uh, and Aaron's sister. The Bible calls her a prophetess. There's a lady named Huldah. I don't know how to say it. It's, that name didn't come to carry over for some reason. Uh, in 2 Kings 22:14, called a prophetess. Nehemiah's day, there was a prophetess named uh, Nodaha, whatever, and that's Nehemiah 6.14. Isaiah was married to an unnamed prophetess in the book of Isaiah. And then I mentioned Anna was a prophetess in the New Testament. Then you think of Jesus' mother Mary prophesied, the Bible says. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother prophesied. Philip the evangelist had four daughters who were called prophetesses. Four, Not, and all of them were. Phoebe was called a deacon in Romans 16.1. Come on. I told you this a couple weeks ago, and Joanna was called an apostle in Romans 16.7. We have to use the whole Bible, guys, not just two scriptures and take them out of context and then put the Pharisees' hate behind it and then try to make it say something it wasn't intended to say. All right? And then how about Priscilla and Aquila? Priscilla was a woman, and she taught... Uh, she taught a man named Apollos uh, the way of God more accurately. 
This is in Acts 18, 24 through 26. Now, Apollos wasn't just some normal, everyday guy off the street that didn't know his Bible. The Bible called him an eloquent man, was mighty in Scripture, fervent in spirit, and Priscilla taught him the way of God more accurately. More accurately. Thank God for women. Thank God for women. Amen? We have, we are, we're praised. They can teach us when we're little kids, the mothers. You know, they teach, they do a lot of teaching at home. The fathers do too, but the women do a lot of it. But then when they get a certain age, it's like, eh. <laughs> get certain, eh, no, you, you just keep it over there in the kitchen. You keep it over there. It's just not right, guys. Do you see what I'm saying? I hope you see what I'm saying. So do these limitations the church has set on women seem consistent throughout the whole Bible to you? Does it seem consistent with the life of Jesus? No, let's look at a few examples of Jesus, and then we'll close. Um, Jesus had no problem associating with women, or teaching women, or having women involved in his ministry. Did he? There was probably more women than they even mentioned, but some of them were mentioned, some of them weren't. But think about Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. They talked about them more than they did Lazarus, other than his, his one little scene he had where he woke up from a nap. And then what about the woman at the well? Amazing story. Jesus went out of his way to rescue that lady's life. The woman caught in the act of adultery, another one, he saved her life. She had value. How about the woman with the alabaster box who poured it out on Jesus' head? It was worth a year's wages. Now there's two stories. You got to read your Bible more, Holly. There's two of them. There's another woman who washed Jesus' feet and then she dried him with her tears. Two stories. Two different women. This happened twice. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's worth a year's wages. Another woman washed his head and his feet with hair and tears. Mary Magdalene. How about her? Mary, the mother of James. Joanna and Susanna. And uh, if it wasn't for the women, the women were the only ones at the crucifixion. I think John was there, but it doesn't look like anybody else made it that day. The one day Jesus needed them there, where were they at? And it wasn't for women like Mary Magdalene and others. Peter and John might still be waiting to, for the tomb to see what was going on. They said, hey, come to the tomb. We saw, we saw the tomb's empty. And Jesus, they didn't. And two of them went, and the other nine bums stayed back and didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. Jesus said that, I don't know how many times throughout the Bible, I'm going to be dead for three days. And in three days, I'm getting up. And they didn't still, nah. They're just, why would he appear to the women? I don't know what they're thinking, but maybe that's what. So, do we really think that Jesus healed these women, delivered them from demons, taught them the word, taught them the scripture, for them to sit on it and not tell anybody? To not ever share it with anybody? You know, that woman with the issue of blood heard it from somebody, right? Think about this first. I'll close with this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This has to mean something. And it has nothing to do with gender confusion today. It has to mean something. So in the spirit realm, this means something. Now God wouldn't have said it. It's time for women to be able to do things in the church other than just nursery and whatever else, Okay. God does not want a man to dominate a woman, and God does not want a woman to dominate a man. He wants us to work together in unity and love. And that, that unity and love needs to be here in the church. It needs to be in our homes. It needs to be in our lives all the time. Amen. So I want to pray for you guys today. I know we, we have women speak here 
We just did it a little bit ago. Jillian shared. We've had lots of different women here. We're, we're four women. But if there's more that they need, more roles, more whatever, whatever they need places in, then they, and it's what God wants, then we want to say yes. I don't care who's doing it. I don't care if it's the male or women. I just want to get things done for the kingdom. Do things for Jesus, amen? Working together in unity and purpose for the sake of the gospel. So you guys will stand on to pray for you, especially going to pray for the women and the mothers. I did rush through that. I'm sorry. I hope you got it. But um, I really felt in my heart that God wanted to release women from this, this false bondage that you don't qualify to do some type of ministry because of your gender. That somehow you must have been cursed or something or just didn't, wasn't lucky enough to get the male gene or something. So now you just have to sit under the authority of a man and not whatever. And, it, and it, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just not right. Amen. So God, I just bless your holy name. I thank you. The word of God says that you redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And it was a curse in the, in the, in the garden where the woman said that the, the husband would rule over his wife. It didn't, doesn't mean dominate, but just rule over his wife. It didn't say all men over the wife, just the husband. But even that was part of the curse. And you said we're redeemed from the curse. And now we're together in unity as one. The two become one flesh. Now, there is no male or female. We're one. We're one in marriage. We're united together in you, Jesus. And so I just bless women right now. I just break off any word curses spoken over your life, that you're a Jezebel because you have this certain anointing or this certain unction, this certain draw to speak this or say that, whatever, that you're a Jezebel. Jezebel is not gender-specific. Jezebel can be male or female. Okay, we don't go into that, but anyway. Um, we break that off of you, the word curse of that you're a Jezebel because you have passion and they don't. Oh, man. I bless you in Jesus' name. I pray for oppression to lift off of you. That gifts of the Holy Spirit would flow through you and to you, unrestricted, unhindered, untampered with, would flow to you and through you. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That you would know the hope of the calling which you have in Christ. That you speak the truth in love. I pray for ministry giftings, callings, anointings to be released right now across this room. Male and female. Across this room. Across this room. Everyone in here. Giftings, callings, anointings, wisdom. God, we thank you for women. They didn't just come from Adam's side. They came from your side. And I'm sorry, God, if we as a church has hurt your girls, your daughters. And I pray you'd help us to do better. Help us do better in our homes, in this house, in church in general. That we love our wives like you love the church. Who loved us and gave yourself for us. Laid down your life for us. We laid down our life for those that we love. And God, I just, uh, again, bless women. 
I bless the mothers today. And I thank you, God, for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Go with God. And women, I release you. Prophesy over somebody this week, women. Make sure it's to edify, encourage, and comfort. But yeah, prophesy this week. In Jesus' name. Oh, yeah. And, we, and mothers, don't forget to get your flowers on the way out. They're in the foyer, I believe, out there on a, on a tray or a rack or something. Go ahead and take one. God bless you.